Well, good morning, everyone. My chance to say good morning to you. Um, my name is Jordan, one of the ministers here on staff. If you're new here or just joining us for the first time online. And we are, as you can hopefully tell, in kind of a, a fun series we're calling Camp Church. And we're trying to kind of capture some of the fun of, of church camps, of VBS, of these kinds of things that many of us participated in over the summers. And so uh, this is, uh, next week is our last week in Camp Church. I just wanted to remind everyone, and we're trying to do something kind of special. We're trying to create a little bit of space for us to have a more of a community moment. And so we are having kind of a COVID-friendly picnic. And the way that we're trying to do this is that we are going to have the picnic tables spread out. You know, you'll be able to set up um, distance from each other. We're going to have all kinds of um, smokers. So we've got a bunch of guys that love to smoke meat. And so this whole neighborhood is going to smell delicious all next Sunday morning. Everyone's going to be jealous and wondering what's going on. They might hop fences. We'll see. But what you'll need to bring, so we will have meat that will be, obviously, people with gloves and masks and all that stuff. We'll have drinks. But what you'll need to bring is anything else you need on top of that. So if you're a potato salad person, great. If you're just donuts and meat kind of person, awesome. I will be hovering as distance as I can near you. So uh, that is for next week. Uh, this week, uh, we are um, in our next flannel graph Message And so this morning we begin uh, in Daniel chapter 3. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'll mostly tell the story. There'll be a few passages we read. But this is King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is proud of his accomplishments, as he ought to be, because he has basically you know, taken over most of the known world. This is all his territory. And what he would do when he would go in into a city, especially as we think of Jerusalem as being a big piece of our story, goes into Jerusalem, burns down the temple of the Lord, and he brings the young men and women of value out from Jerusalem and brings them to Babylon for re-education, cultural brainwashing. Now one of the things we have to understand about cultural brainwashing is that we all participate in it. All of us are brainwashed culturally. We have certain things that just kind of come as a part of the water we swim in. For example, I had a youth minister that worked for me for a while. His name was Vitor. He was from South America. Vitor comes in one morning to, to my house. We we're going to talk about some church stuff. He's very excited. He's just been to Ingalls, the grocery store, and they had dun -da 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 -da, chicken hearts. And I said, Vitor, what in the world would anyone do with chicken hearts? And he says, you grill them and eat them. And I said, can I introduce you to pizza? Can I please introduce you to burger? Like we have chicken, I mean just, <laughs> but there's this kind of cultural difference. This happens, this assumption, it comes around foods and languages and priorities and values. And so what, what Nebuchadnezzar wants to do is he wants to bring not just Jerusalem, but all of the peoples that he has conquered. He wants to bring their best and brightest and bring them into Babylon and to create and make them Babylonian. That's his dream, to make the world Babylonian. This is what empires often do. And so as, uh, as he's uh, you know, thinking about how great he is, uh, he comes up with this, this plan. He says, if my greatness is so great, I should probably make a statue or a, a tribute. Something should honor me. And so he, he gets together with the royal architects and he says, listen, we need something big. Big. Big is my glory. 
And so they get together and they come up with some ideas, some sketches. What about this? Nebuchadnezzar says, no, no, that's not going to do. That's not going to be good enough. What, what about this? No, 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 not quite good enough. And so his architects, are, after they try and try and try, finally say, you know what? I know exactly. I know exactly what will make Nebuchadnezzar happy. Let's make a giant image of him, right? And make it gold. Make it 90 feet high and 6 feet wide, almost just a little over 6 stories of golden Nebuchadnezzar glory. And Nebuchadnezzar says, ah, now we're talking. Yes, yes, only I have a better idea. Let's get everyone in the kingdom who's important to come to this great party because they built this on the plain of Dura. And we think that where that plain is, because there's a couple different places called Dura in the, in the Near East. So, but we think that this region that they're talking about is actually probably either in or right near the capital. So this golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar is going to overlook the capital city itself. And so he says, how about we bring all of the governors and CEOs and influencers and important people and they come and, and then we'll have the best band that we have in Babylon and they'll strike up a tune and then everyone will bow down before the image of me. How does that sound? And everyone says, oh, that sounds really great. Let's do that. Because he has an army. And uh, he says, I have an even better idea. What about this? What if they don't bow down? We burn them alive in a fiery furnace. And everyone says, yes, this is great. This is a wonderful plan. And so they begin their execution of this plan. They build this massive gold. And you just have to think about the. We've seen buildings that are six stories. It's not that big a deal. But in the ancient world, it's a really big deal. That's a really big thing, especially made out of gold, right? So this is a big thing, and it's important that we think a little bit about what is, what's going on here. What is, what is Nebuchadnezzar trying to accomplish? Because this is a religious text. Our Bible is a book that talks so much about God. We're sudden, we might want to rush to make this just a religious thing, that he's just kind of making himself as a God. And that is definitely true. But you have to, to remember that they assumed that there was some kind of connection between power and between the gods. They just assumed that. The king was either a representative of the gods or an embodied god himself, something like that. This is not Nebuchadnezzar trying to enforce his pantheon. This is Nebuchadnezzar enforcing loyalty this is nebuchadnezzar exerting control this is the entire city of babylon the greatest capital in the known world looking up at their lord while their lord looks down on them this is an important lesson right beware leaders who like their names and lights beware leaders who like their names on the lips of others. Beware leaders who like statues and spectacles. And this would have been a grand spectacle. Everyone would have been, you would have seen almost nothing like this. And Babylon was already considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was already considered this beautiful place and now it's a place of strength and might underneath the watchful gaze of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Also, you have to understand what is happening with that fiery furnace. Because our burial practices and methods are not their burial practices and methods. We cremate bodies. We put them in urns and sometimes people keep those. Maybe, maybe you have as well. Um, in the ancient world, especially in the Jewish mind, this is not a good thing. 
To burn a body is to desecrate a body, is to treat it with disrespect. They buried their bodies. In fact, they honored their bodies so much that they would bury their bodies in tomb. Remember, they laid Jesus out in the tomb. And they would, what they expected to do there was to leave him to decompose. And then they would gather the bones and they would put them in these small boxes. If you, you know, pay attention around Easter time, usually there's some kind of National Geographic special about some new ossuary they found. That's what they call these boxes. They're called ossuaries. And they would put these bones in that. Why? Because of resurrection. Because the body is not done. Because God is bringing bones back to life. And so what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is not just killing people. He is killing people and also dishonoring them, degrading them, possibly even in their minds, stealing the afterlife from them. He is trying to bring them as low as he is high. That's what's happening in this story. That's that cultural baggage, that context. And so Nebuchadnezzar's plan, of course, is enacted. How is it not going to be? He gets all of the people together, all of the rich and famous, everyone from little mayors to you know, senators and congressmen, important people, everyone's there. And he gets the band. The band is playing. He gets their strike up the band. And everyone bows before him as it's supposed to be. Except for this. If you've been reading the book of Daniel, you already sort of know a little bit about Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're renamed and given slave names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Because culture must claim everything, even names. So they're taken, their Jewish names are taken away, and they're given Babylonian names. Uh, and so we know them usually as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this story kind of centers on them. But we've already seen in this book a kind of uncomfortable situation where these young Jewish people, these young Jewish men, are loyal to God but trying to live as officials in the Babylonian government. It's a very difficult spot for them to find themselves in. And so uh, they choose in this moment not to bow. But of course this is thousands and thousands and thousands of people you can imagine in this situation. You might not have noticed the two guys, or three guys I should say, the three guys in the back hiding out. But someone did. Someone did. And someone goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and says there are certain Jews so awkward to read like that. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of, the ba- of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now notice these accusations. Notice what they are. They're important. These, uh, these young men have resisted the king's orders... And they are resisting the gods of the king, the cultural forces, let's say, of the king. Because I think as soon as I say gods, you think in your minds just idols. But remember that each one of those idols or each one of those gods was a god of something. Right? They were a god of something. They were a god of war. They were a god of love, a god of lust, whatever, whatever it was. They were the god of something. Right? They were cultural forces. So I would say in America, for instance, we don't have a lot of idols standing around. don't have a lot of gods we bow down to. But we sure love consumerism. That is very much a God in America and very much something that tries to steal our souls from us. 
So anyway, as you think about gods in this sense, think of the cultural forces that they're resisting. They are resisting the king's food. They are resisting the king's image. They are resisting the king's commands in that sense because it feels as though he is calling them to give allegiance to him in a way they can only give allegiance to God. And so they're ratted out. <laughs> and yet these guys, these three young men, they do seem to fit in well enough that they can serve as officials, right? There's not been a problem up to this point. But when that demand for that ultimate allegiance comes, they can only give it. They can only give it to God. And so what happens is the king is angered, and he says, you know, he brings Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to me, so he gets his soldiers, and his soldiers grab him, and they drag him right in front of the king. And the king asks point blank, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will save you from our hand, my hand? I am all-powerful. I have life. I have death in my palm. It's yours. What are you going to take? Are you going to take life or are you going to take death? And their answer is, I think, legend, as the kids say now, right? This, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. Imagine standing in front of the guy who controls the entire world, who's demanding an answer from you, has your life in his hands, and you say to him, we don't really need to answer you in this matter. Really? Everyone answers to me. Everyone answers to me. But for these three, their, their allegiance, their commitment, their loyalty, their faith, their chesed, whatever adjective, their covenant, whatever it is you want to use that kind of to describe this relationship, this commitment they, they have to God, this thing makes all other powers paltry. We don't even need to answer you. But if it is true, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is one of those texts that brings me to that song that, uh, that I, I like, that song that we sing sometimes, Though you slay me, yet... I will serve you. This, 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 this mindset that they're so committed to God that, that God's outcome, even if it doesn't include him saving them from this fiery furnace, that, that whatever God has planned is greater. Even if it ends in their death, whatever God has planned is greater. Even if it ends in their death, whatever God has is greater. And so they give it to him. They give it to him. I hope you catch on to this, church. I hope you catch on to it because this is often my, the opposite of what I sense even in myself because we have such a mindset of defense. I, he's standing, they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't it time for them to correct him? Isn't it time for them to say, this is the one and true and living God and you're doing everything wrong? Isn't this the moment to be prophetic, to speak the truth? And they don't. Such an interesting thing. 
It's an interesting thing. I, I noticed this about Jesus too. Do you notice that? When he stands before Herod, he tells Herod, oh, you got it all wrong, Herod. When he stands before Pilate, he says, Pilate, you've got it all. No, he doesn't do any of that. What does Pilate do when Pilate demands, don't you know, Jesus, that I have the power to free you? What's Jesus' answer? You wouldn't have power unless God gave it to you. God's still in control. <laughs> and whatever God has planned is greater even if it ends in my death. Whatever God has planned is greater even if it ends in my death. Whatever God has planned is greater even if it ends in my death. And Jesus doesn't have the need in him to defend God or what God is doing in his life. Shadrach, Me- Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have no need to defend God or what God is doing in their life. You do whatever you will. We will watch God vindicate his name and possibly vindicate us if he wishes. That, brothers and sisters, that, friends and family, that, my dear enemies, is the content of faith. That is the content of faith. That whatever God has planned is greater, even if it ends in my death. That is the kind of faith that we're being called to. And that's the kind of trust that God invites. He invites us to take a risk on him. And we read stories like this. They should encourage us to kind of take that risk because I love what happens with this. I love their response. And what happens next is the king is outraged, as you might know. And he's so outraged, he says, that's it. We're making this fire three times hotter. So they heat it up extra hot. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to put you in your snowsuit. And they put a wool hat on them. They wrap them all up. Like you're going to kill them more? Like what's, you're going to burn them hotter? Like what's, what does hotter matter? Like, but you, do you see the difference? Like this is the king's rage. He's out for blood and there's not enough blood to satisfy him. It can't be hot enough. They can't suffer enough. He can't make it painful enough. That's how angry he is. And then on the other hand, you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are standing there confident that whatever God has planned is greater, even if it ends in their death. That's a very big difference. You see the stark difference between those who are walking in God's path and those who are walking a completely different one, a cultural one, one that will lead them to their own destruction, to their own judgment, to their own failure. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't get caught up in arguing with this guy about who is right and who is wrong. He, they say, we'll let God decide. We'll let God decide. How often the Bible warns us against arguing. How often the Bible warns us against it. What does Paul say to Timothy? Don't get caught up in arguing about genealogies and names and these sorts of things because those arguments don't bring about the peace of God. And so they leave it to God to solve their problems. And God solves their problems by letting them get tossed into the fiery furnace. <laughs> in they go. In they go. I love that. I love that about the Bible. Because, you know, you'd anticipate a a book that's pure fiction, a book that's completely made up, a book that's just meant to pat you on the back. Well, God would show up and save them. But no, the Bible says, they go in. (laughs) They go in. Life's like that. Sometimes you go into that furnace, and you don't know what's going to happen when you get in there. It's, in fact, it's so hot. The heat is so intense that the men that throw 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the fire. They catch fire too. They burn. They die. Nebuchadnezzar's rage is so consuming. His need for vengeance is so strong. His hunger for blood is so there. His anger is so hot. He is now willing to kill his own followers to get his revenge. That's what happens, this progression of hate. And he looks into the fiery furnace, and instead of seeing the, the people, the, the, the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, like writhing in pain, instead of seeing ashes or bones catching fire, instead of seeing that, he sees them standing there, and he said, he's squinting in there, and he says, I, I see something else. Didn't, didn't we put three people in there? Everyone's like, yeah, we saw three. Well, everyone that was left, you know. We saw three. But he looks in and he says, I see one that looks like the son of the gods. We don't know what that is. An angel? Some have argued it's a theophany, a pre, sort of a pre-revelation of Jesus. You can get into arguments about that. We won't do that because you said not to. But <laughs> he sees someone like the son of the gods. And so this angelic being, this, this divine being or whatever, this, 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 this being from God is protecting them. And so... And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them out and says, come out of the fire, come out of the fire. And they come out and lo, they don't even smell like smoke. Clothes and singed, they are perfectly just as they went in snowsuits and toboggans, <laughs> toboggans all around. And Nebuchadnezzar is floored. He issues a decree that no one speak ill of the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And being a king, he says, if you do, I'll burn you in the fiery furnace. <laughs> Some things don't change. <laughs> but that's the story. The image of the king is toppled by the faithfulness of these three Jewish boys. This story doesn't come with, uh, with a little nugget at the end that says, here's the lesson. <laughs> but if you'll give me a second just to say a few things that I see. I see this. I see this demonstrates the necessity to have absolute loyalty to God. And that God's people will always struggle, wherever they are, wherever they are, to fit in with the culture and the peoples around them. Because there will be priorities and commitments. There will be things that will be asked to believe and to do that we cannot believe or we cannot do. Which doesn't mean we need to cause trouble and fight. They seem to get on very nicely in Babylon, until that moment where they were asked to do or to believe something that did not comport with their faith. Right? So there's always going to be an uncomfortable disease because we are not people of two allegiances. We are people of one allegiance, and it's to God. I love, again, Jesus, you wouldn't have power if God didn't give it to you. So I guess you get to do what you want. <laughs> That's the attitude. And yet, because this is such kind of a fearful position for us to be in, it's important that we hold on to the next thing, that this story demonstrates the loyalty of God. That the text of Scripture again and again harps on the fact, I mean harps on the fact that God will not leave us or forsake us. That God is still with us. That God is still working with us despite our failures, despite all of the things that we have messed up. He has chesed. He has covenant faithfulness and loyalty even when we don't. And that's good news. That means that we can stand up. That means that we can be faithful to God and not fear the winds and the worries of the world. We can begin to just root ourselves in Jesus. As he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Well, begin to abide in him deeply and he will demonstrate his loyalty because he will vindicate 
his people. That is what God will do. And that is part of the message of Jesus. That is why he's called the first fruits of the dead, the first fruits of a harvest, right? The first thing that you see that's proof that there is more harvest to come. Jesus is the first of that, the first resurrected. God will vindicate us through the resurrection. And so we can have demonstrably crazy faith. But this also means that we have left room for God to vindicate. That we have practiced what we saw in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What we see in Jesus as he stands before Herod and Pilate. That we have, whatever we say or do, full and utter trust in the ability of God to vindicate his name and to vindicate us. Which is why Paul gives such poignant, powerful instructions to us and the letter, uh, in the letter to the Romans, this is kind of a fun little subheading I never paid attention to before. It says, marks of a true Christian. And this is where I want to leave it because this is one that I think will kind of encapsulate in the New Testament what we have seen in the life of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as they dealt with the situation. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but instead associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you'll actually end up heaping burning coals on top of their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the mark of those who walk the way of God. Let it be our mark. Please stand as we sing a song.